Welcome to Before the Pitch, a baseball podcast covering all things New York Yankees, New York Mets, and youth baseball. We are Before the Pitch, your host of this uh, wonderful podcast where you can love New York baseball no matter what shade of blue you're wearing. I am Billy. And I am Scott. And thank you guys uh, for tuning in to episode number two. Don't forget, make sure you follow us on Twitter and YouTube. We have one, at least one video on YouTube comes out every week. And Twitter, you can follow us at B4Pitch, where we interact with people constantly all day because we're lucky enough to have jobs where we can kind of keep our phones hidden. So uh, whenever you want to get a hold of us, we were always around. And we are joined by our co-host, Coach Chris. This episode, we'll be giving parents the tools and questions to ask yourselves when trying to decide the best program for your child to be a part of. Even at the professional level, the Astros have shown us what happens when a toxic culture becomes too large to bear. Um, At the start of this episode, guys, I want to take a second and just reflect a little bit. Um, Kelly Rodman, who is uh, the Yankees area scout for the Northeast region, um, passed away yesterday, March 4th. Um, Kelly was a fixture in Northeast baseball for many years and uh, will we'll be a huge loss for all of us. So I just want to take a moment and say rest in peace to Kelly, and we're thinking of uh, the whole Yankees family as well as all the you know the kids that she's been a part of their lives over the past couple of years, helping them out, whether it be high school or, or college athletes, to help them get to the next level. So we're thinking of uh, all those people at this time, and uh, rest in peace, Kelly. Absolutely. It's always tragic to lose someone who's been so ingrained in a community and the culture of baseball for so long, and we wish well to the family for sure. And it shows the extent of how deep baseball runs. It's so much more than a game. It's, we feel like the people who we meet are somehow a part of us almost spiritually. For sure. Uh, I mean, it, Scott, you can probably attest to this a little bit, but a couple of years ago when we took a little trip to visit some ballparks over the summer, we met a few people that to this day we contact probably once a week where you're talking to these people, and they're wonderful, and it's just the, it's the family of baseball from just meeting people and interacting with the game and growing up, and it's a bond that you don't really lose no matter how old or young you are. Yeah, it really, really is. And I know some of the the individuals who you're referring to and all we met one of them just by someone just catching wind of our conversation. Someone saying, oh, hey, I know a little something about that. And then then all of a sudden you wind up really meeting people and talking to people all because people just show up to a ball game together. That that's really that that really is amazing, especially when um, they find uh, I remember reading the stat for every um guy who played little league baseball on average each of them has one groomsman in their wedding who they played with at some point that's interesting and and that just goes to show how how deep this loss runs for the whole community especially um scott uh, kelly lived in wallingford the town that we that we live in um so she was very well known especially in this area to us but all around the northeast um for a bunch of coaches other scouts players so um, the whole community is kind of kind of mourning this together. So I, I guess that's going to help everyone get through this together. But the most important thing is thinking of her family and her close friends at this time. So, Absolutely. Um, so I think we're going to move into our first topic, but not without that somber um, condolences to everyone. Uh, but our first topic of today is going to be the new rule changes kind of uh, flowing through the MLB. One of the big ones that was uh, introduced recently was, um, and I believe this is just being tested in the minor leagues. It's not actually been implemented yet, but it's the uh, pickoff rule for uh, lefty pitchers. Scott, did you want to talk about that a little bit? Uh, yeah, and 
before we really talk about it, um, we actually do have a video that just came out yesterday. It's on YouTube. So if you guys are following us on YouTube or Twitter, make sure you go out and you could see uh, my full fleshed opinions on that. And I go into a little bit um, of detail. Now, the interesting this part of this conversation is me and Chris are actually on very opposite sides of this, um, which is going to make for a great conversation. And he and I have not discussed um, the matters of it. So everyone's going to be hearing the raw first encounter of this um, conversation. I really like it. And the reason why I like it is because uh, this was tested out in the Atlantic League Independent League last year. And when they did that, um, they found double plays went down and uh, bases, um, base ceiling attempts went up, which I think is great because I've been saying forever, the game of baseball is most fun when people are on base and stuff is happening because that creates suspense both on both teams. So anything to me that gets people um, moving and get stuff happening, get stuff out of the normal that, that, that happens, I think is great because we're living in a time where there's so many home runs or so many strikeouts. These aren't exciting. And here's the thing. A, a lot of people really aren't going to like me saying this, but I really don't care. Um, good pitching is boring to a lot of people because not much happens. I appreciate good pitching. Everyone here appreciates good pitching. I love but I think. But a, a lot of people turn on a game, and if, it, if it's a low-scoring game, people are just fanning. It, it's fun in a high-pressure game, but when it happens all the freaking time, it, the game kind of does get boring. And the, when you think about the excitement of a home run is only going to last about 30 seconds. Um, and when no one's on base, there's nothing to get excited for. There's nothing to, to wait for. There's nothing to anticipate. So now if we have if we make it just just a tad bit easier um, for our runners to get to second base and to get into scoring position, meaning maybe there's a, um, a bigger chance that a base is going to score someone. Maybe, I don't know, if you're um, a team who's in the field, a base hit, you could try to throw a dude out, and those plays are always exciting. So it's going to create exciting opportunities. It's going to create stuff to happen. It's going to create possibilities, and I think that's something the game – really really does need right now and a popular argument is it takes away the lefty advantage and i argue that it doesn't um and the reason why is because the lefty pitcher still has a pickoff advantage that a righty pitcher doesn't the righty pitcher has to step off the rubber and still turn around the lefty pitcher all they have to do is step off with their left foot and they can throw it so you're still it's still going to be a very quick um, it's already a technique that's already being used, so it's not like you have to adjust too much. Um, so I think that this is a, a small change that could make a big difference, and the Atlantic League shows has shown that it's made a big difference. All right. Here's all that's going to blow that out of the water for you, Scott. So number one, the Atlantic League went to the automated strike zone last year, right? The umpires really weren't in charge of balls and strikes. So number one, catchers can now set up to defend against the run because they don't need to worry about framing pitches. So now those guys that are trying to steal bases are just thrown out. That's just as boring as strikeouts and double plays, right? So that wipes that right off the board. The other part of it is, is don't double plays speed up the game. The whole thing with Manford and what he's trying to do is speed the game up, speed the game up. Well, if, if you're not doing that stuff, this is kind of counterproductive to that point because now – that's not a double play. Now that's more pitches you have to throw because now maybe you have to strike the next guy out instead of getting that ground ball double play and pitching to the ground ball. So now you're slowing the game down. As far as the whole pitching is boring to some, I'm kind of the old school baseball guy in the sense that this game wasn't meant for average people. It was meant for the ones that can follow along and really get intertwined in the mental part of it. That's why this game is so difficult to play. It's so difficult to compete at a high level. Look, great athletes will be great in any sport you put them in. 
baseball is a whole nother ball of whack when it comes to the mental side of it and what you have to think about. And that's why average sports fans lean more towards football and NBA basketball because there's not so much of that aspect that they have to think about. Like, sure, when you're playing football, there's a playbook you have to know. But you you know if I'm a wide receiver, I'm, I have to run a deep cross on this play. It's done for you. And baseball, everything happens spur of the moment. There is no play call to make it suddenly happen the way you want it to. So a one nothing game in the middle of April between the Diamondbacks and – the, the New York Mets, a, a non-rivalry game, I would much rather watch that instead of a 10-2 game that has eight home runs, right? So I just – I don't believe that this whole taking away the art part of the game is really helping anybody. Um, you already you already hurt lefties by mandating this three-batter rule. So now you've gotten rid of the left-handed specialist. So now left-handed pitchers are losing even more because now you're taking away their advantage of slowing runners down. Um that's kind of something that they've been able to utilize for as long as baseball's been around, right? This isn't a new rule that we adopted like the DH in the 70s. This has been a rule since baseball began that guys can pick off this way. And I just don't think that the right step is to take that art out of it. Like taking pitch framing as an art is uh, away from the game is the right step either. I don't think that that is either. That's why I don't agree with the whole pitch calling thing. I, as a coach, I get thrown out of at least one game every season. My kids joke about it. They can't wait for that day to come because I have my fair share of moments with umpires. I am also a state certified umpire in this state. So I understand it from the umpiring point of view that sometimes we miss pitches and we're going to hear about it and that's okay because it's part of the game and part of the joy of what comes with it is it's not perfect. Um, instant replay has its moments in baseball, but it's not meant for baseball. It, it's, it's the imperfection that makes it exciting for people. So I just – I'm completely against this rule. I know, Scott, you're completely for it, but I just – I don't think it's good for the game long term. So, so – well, okay, before I throw it to Billy, because I think I have a, a transition thing that, that sure. might get to Billy. Um, so what, what basically our, our two positions um, are, are coming down to is we're, we're both looking at this as solving or, or causing – or addressing, I should say, two completely different problems. Um, your perspective, Chris, is that this isn't going to speed up with the game because – because they'll um, lower the amount of double plays, double plays speed up the game. So you would think Manfred would be more in line with that because that's more in line with the rules that he's been um, um, placing, correct? Correct. So my position, actually, and the reason why I think it is in line with a lot of the stuff that he's been um, doing is because a lot of his rule changes are in some way or shape or form are trying to depower the pitcher in order to influence offense. I think um, – Manfred was watching the London series last year, and I think he was having a party. I think that's exactly what he wanted to happen. Now, I'm not sure if I want 17 to 14 games going on, uh, but I can't say I was not excited. So here's what, what the ultimate question comes in, and, and Billy, you could be the first one to chime in on this, is is the way to bring people in, bring more people in, because I'm someone who thinks we have to bring the casual fan back. Um, I do not think we should be isolating them. Is the proper way to do this and to bring ratings back up, is it to make the game faster or is it to make the game more exciting? So um, I tend to agree with it's not to make the game faster and it's to make the game more exciting. But I also, I also agree with... I also agree with the perspective of at what point are we changing the fundamentals of what built the game? Now, with that said, 
when the DH was introduced, well, that was basically breaking the fundamentals of the game that had existed for close to a hundred years at the time. Well, yeah, close to a hundred years at the time when the DH started being talked about. And that was breaking the fundamentals of the game. And now that's ingrained in baseball culture. Um, so I do not necessarily think we should be so quick to dismiss any potential new changes. I'm much more of I need to see it before I can judge it type of thing where I might really like in my head I can see how I could really like the three batter rule because it would mean that like rallies don't get killed you know people are going to be moving on base it's going to be up to the resilient pitchers who can fight back from loading bases, you know, walking guys that can come through in the clutch even after they basically threw themselves under the bus. Those guys that can fight back are the guys that are going to become more entertaining to watch, more fun to watch. Um, It's not just going to be, you know, rapid fire through your bullpen where you basically have about 20 minutes of inaction because, you know, three people threw five pitches each over the span of like 25 minutes because there was a commercial break in between each of them so it's so it's keeping the flow of the game which i think could be beneficial to the sport but also i'm like but now certain players are gonna lose their jobs basically because they don't have that role anymore of a lefty specialist or if they do there's only gonna be one on every team because you're not going to use them very often. If you're going to use a lefty specialist, it's going to be in a very specific situation. Um, you know, like well, most teams only have one to begin with. Most only right. have one to begin with. You're right. But most teams will carry more than one lefty. Usually they carry two lefties. So I can see a lot of teams going to just one lefty because they feel like they're only going to have one shot to like make that count. So like, I agree with how do we, get average fans more involved. And I don't think we do that by alienating the hardcore down to earth, true baseball fans by what these rules are doing. Right. You want to know how you do it? Make bleacher seats $5 again. So you can bring your kids to a game and not spend a fortune. Like I just did a quick Google search in 2018, Forbes said the Boston Red Sox were worth at least $2.8 billion. And that was the (laughs) fifth most valuable baseball team. (coughs) Billion. You can't buy a single ticket at Fenway Park for $5. So how can the average family afford to bring their two kids, mom and dad, when you're going to pay $8 for a hot dog and you got to pay $9 for a soda? But that's that's because grown men can't fit in those seats. That's also very true. But that's where we're losing. Fenway, Fenway, you're calling Fenway. Good luck to you. Yeah. But so that's where you're losing average fans. Like I'm a Yankees fan. I go to Yankee Stadium. And I know for me – the section I always sit in is $90. I know that for me. But if you go to the bleachers, those seats are $22 to $25 now. When I was a kid growing up, my father took me to games because why? Bleacher seats were 7 bucks. So you'd go, you'd take your, their kids to the game, buy them some Cracker Jacks, buy them a soda, and go teach them the game of baseball and how, why it's so beautiful to watch in person. That's what we're losing. We are losing that ability to show kids the next generation of why it's so beautiful to watch. Because you don't get that beauty watching on TV. You don't get to watch them warm up between innings. And why do they do this? And why do they do that? How come when this guy is coming up, the left fielder is moving here? You don't see that through a camera lens. 
right? So that's where we're losing the average fan because the average fan can't afford to go. You got people paying a thousand dollars for seats at Yankee Stadium, and the stadium's half empty unless it's October. So I do have a really good counter argument to that to a certain extent. Um, yes, I agree with you one hundred percent that tickets need to be cheaper because it's insane. You know, when you can barely see the field and you're paying like thirty bucks a ticket, like that's just crazy. Um, but besides that, when you're talking about like, how can you have that feeling of like going to a park, you know, like what's it like playing like on a field with your buddies? Like during the, during the Mets Cardinal spring training game this past, uh, these past couple days, was it yesterday? I think it was yesterday. Um, the players were mic'd up on the field. I thought that was tremendous. That was amazing. Like, hearing the little conversations that these guys have, and it's not just, like, you think that everything is so serious all the time when these guys are playing, but then you listen to them playing, and you realize it's just like a bunch of 12-year-olds out on the field. So Scott made the point on Twitter yesterday, I think it was yesterday he made the point on Twitter, where he said, well, what happens when someone uses that to cheat? Because I firmly believe that is a great way to help baseball, is to mic all these guys up, and just let, let's hear what they're talking about and let the kids understand how much fun they're really having. But Scott's right. We just saw it with the Astros. So they found a way to cheat with the cameras. How are they going to find a way to cheat with the mics? I mean, yes. That's... Yeah, you pretty much just took the words out of my mouth. My, I, I thought the mic up thing was hysterical. This is some of the Anthony Rizzo stuff. And he quoted a uh, little big league when Chris Bryant was up. I know, not little big league. I'm um, rookie of the year. I'm sorry. Yep. Um, uh, oh, my God. The, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. One of the funniest scenes in the movie. Yeah. I think that is hysterical. Zach Britton was hysterical, and, and I absolutely love it. Pete Alonzo said he's totally down to get mic'd up. I know Trevor Bauer wants to. I think that's great, but, like, yeah, that's my paranoia thing. So I'm more in the position for it. I'm all for it. Just please make sure we, we got this uh, um, we got this watertight before someone really takes advantage of that. So, and uh, as far as ticket prices go, just super quick, the yeah. ticket prices won't go down until um, players get play- players get paid less. Because that's just the economics of baseball, and then that sucks. And it's that's not going to happen, and you can't put a salary cap on baseball because that's the only thing that's getting people to play baseball instead of going to football because there's more instant gratification in football. Mark Deshera talked about that, but that's a whole other conversation for another time. Um, yeah, I, I, those games do have to be way, way cheaper. They, they, they really do. But I, my thing is I don't think that's going to happen until we, we stop paying people less. And I, I'm of the position of, hey, if you are that good and you can make that money, no matter what job you're doing, you have the right to go make that money if that's what someone's going to pay for you. It's just It just kind of makes you, you, you hope and cross your fingers that collectively it would be nice if everyone just said, I don't need $330 million for the next 10 years, which is, is – absolutely nuts i don't even know what i would do with that money it's to to me that's the biggest root of the problem but that's not going to change but i i think that you you can change that you can take tickets instead of saying 25 bucks for bleacher seats you can say 10 bucks for bleacher seats you can come up with some sort of special where you can as a family you can use it once a month or or three times twice in a season three times in a season whatever like you can limit people based off their purchase with all the technology we have out there with Ticketmaster and StubHub and all this stuff you can truly tell people, hey, if you use this code, you only get to use it once and blah, 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 and limit people to the use to get fans to games 
then Mayboss Club's as much money. Because you know what? If you're a club that's worth $2.8 billion and you just traded away the best player to come up through your system in probably the past 50 years since Ted Williams, because let's remember, David Ortiz didn't come up through the system. Like, So you just traded away that guy when you're worth $2.8 billion and you can't afford to make ticket prices affordable for your fans. That's a problem to me. Well, Fenway actually does a really interesting um, thing. Uh, I have a friend whose uh, girlfriend is a nurse up in uh, a hospital in Boston. If you are a, a nurse for a, a Boston hospital, you can get into a Red Sox game for five bucks, actually. And I think that's tremendous. And I wish people would take care of nurses and doctors and firefighters and police officers and military and all of them more. But in this discussion, we're talking about the average fan. How do you get kids to the game? You can't bring kids for 25 bucks a ticket and spend 100 bucks for a family to come, especially like if you don't live in the greater area that this, the games are in. Okay. We are two hours from Boston, two hours from New York where we are, Scott. So for yeah. us, you're yeah. talking about gas or train tickets on top of it. How, and then you're paying at least 100 bucks to bring a family of four plus whatever. I mean, they're kids. They're going to want to eat. They're going to want the whole experience. Now you're talking two, 250 maybe 300 bucks to bring a family to a game. So, and we wonder why families aren't going. So for yeah. myself, I would meet friends in the city every now and again to go to like a Mets game because um, I have uh, friends who are Giants fans and whatnot. And they all are like, hey, like this, my team's in town. You want to go to the game? And I, and I enjoy that a lot. Right. Um, but for me, it's 37 bucks round trip just for the train. And then there's my ticket, which is going to cost me at least another 20 to 30 bucks. <laughs> And that's talking if we're sitting, like, way up high. But for my friends, it's like they their team comes to town maybe once a year, maybe twice a year, depending on the year. It's like they want, when their team comes to town, they want to have nice seats so that they can see their team. So then you're talking 60, 70 bucks. It's like now I'm up over 100 bucks, and I haven't bought a hot dog. I haven't bought a beer. I haven't bought popcorn. Like, I haven't bought anything besides for a train ticket and a ticket to the game and i'm up over 100 bucks it's like that's that's where it gets you so like here's the thing that drives me nuts specifically as a yankees fan i just pulled up real quick city field tickets so tuesday april 14th they're playing the braves that's a big game it's early in the year but it's a big division game against a rival starting ticket prices are 10 bucks for bleach for bleacher tickets right that's well, like nosebleeds yeah well yeah, they don't really have quote unquote bleachers at City Field, but that's their cheapest ticket price is ten bucks. Yeah. So you can afford to bring a family of four for forty bucks. So why are their prices so much different than the New York Yankees? It's the same market. It's City Field as, as, as from a baseball point of view, as someone going to watch a game. I'd rather watch a game at City than the Yankee Stadium. So can you why tell are the, the Wilpons it's the same market? Yeah, tell me about it. But I mean. <laughs> That, that that just drives me nuts because you have a team in New York that's saying, well, we can give tickets for 10 bucks to make sure families can come. Why can't the other New York team do that? That's that's what drives me nuts and where we lose the casual fan, especially like the Yankees are such an international brand. The Red Sox are such an international brand. I hate to say it, the Mets aren't. Like there's the Dodgers are an international brand. Like there's people in China, there's people in Europe who follow those teams, right? So – you have ways that you can afford to do this, but somehow you're the most expensive. So here's, here's why a lot of them are so expensive at Yankee stadium. And I, I'm not saying this is right. I'm just saying this is what they do because my dad worked for a company where they used to get tickets. Um, 
And actually, whenever my dad got tickets, he never got to take the family. He was not allowed to go. He always had to give it to his clients. Yeah. He worked for him, so he wasn't ever able to take us. He had to wait till he gave it to someone who said, hey, Joe, do you and your your, your family want to go? But because um, what they do is the, the Yankees don't want people to buy their tickets. The Yankees want companies to buy their tickets who can spend it up. They're trying to get those people, and that's, and that's why they're so expensive because – we are. I'm not paying three hundred dollars to sit behind home plate. Um, it's more than like, three hundred, by the way. What, what are they? Uh, last I heard, they were at least eight hundred bucks. Okay, yeah, that, that sounds about. But yeah, none of us are going to pay that. But you know who is going to pay for that? My dad's company, who's going to buy 30, 40 of them to use throughout the year and give them to people, and they're just going to give them out for free. Um, if you, I've sat in the Audi Club before, just because I knew I know someone who works for Audi. We, we've gotten up there. They don't the Yankees, and they've been criticized for this over and over and over again. And, and I, I get the criticism; it makes perfect sense. They, they, the Yankees want corporate people to show up, especially sitting behind home plate. Keep in mind, when you see half that stadium empty, all those tickets are sold. They're just sold to companies and given to people who aren't going to show up. Those are all sold, or they're eating in the legend suites that's underneath everything, which I'm told is fantastic and delicious. Uh, but I've even sat in the Audi Club, and here's the thing. The best food I've ever eaten at any ballpark ever in the Audi Club at Yankee Stadium. Um, me and my friend and his parents were the only people in the Audi Club wearing jerseys every time that I've gone. Everyone in there is in a suit. There's a bar in the back. They're sitting there. They've got laptops. they got briefcases out. It was unreal. It didn't even look like a baseball game. And yet it was like our small group were the only people who were in a game. And I can't help but to look around and say there are so many people who can't even afford to come here once a year. This is such a waste of, of, of people who should not be showing up to this ballpark right now. That, that I'm not – like, I'm not against the economics of selling tickets behind home plate or down the lines that like at the dugout level, like to corporations like that. I understand that. But if you're doing that, why can't you make the bleachers, the upper decks more accessible to families? You, you Like everyone's talking about, again, to the point of this conversation of how do we get the average fan back? That's how get them to games. Otherwise the long term is we're going to lose more and more average fans. And then baseball is going to decline. And that's what we're starting to see. So, I don't know. I'm in a little bit of a disagreement there because, you know, you look over at other sports like basketball, for example. The Knicks suck, right? That That's the reality of the situation. The Knicks are awful. But every night, the garden sells out. Uh, not true. Last night, they had the lowest they've ever gotten in the past 15 to 20 years, I think. The lowest uh, okay. Ever okay. Showed up. That's yeah. fine. That's fine. But that's also because the Knicks have sucked for 15 years. Yep. You know, so it, realistically, you'd expect that. But they still, every night, there are thousands and thousands of people that show up to the garden because of the sport, because of the superstars of the sport. Because you know what? If the Lakers are coming to town, that arena is going to be packed because everybody wants to watch LeBron James play but you know what when the Angels come to town for baseball this stadium doesn't get packed to watch Mike Trout play you know when the Astros came to town the stadium didn't get packed to watch Garrett Cole pitch when the Mets go away people don't pack the stadium to watch uh Jacob DeGrom pitch like this this isn't the way baseball operates and 
I think it's because baseball is so dependent on the entire team working together to be successful. It's not just one player that can completely change a franchise. You know, you have the best That's very play- true. you have the best player in baseball on a team that has missed the playoffs the last what five years. And now, he's he... been the best player in baseball over those five years. So when you talk about that, I think the best way to bring people back to the parks is to sell the camaraderie. And I think that's what you were really seeing with like those mic'd up games over the last couple, uh, over the last like week that you've been seeing with like all the players in spring training. Yes, spring training is a much looser atmosphere than the regular season. But at the same time, it's like you see the camaraderie and the fact that this literally looks like it could have been you and your buddies from when you were little playing a game today. Like, that's what it looks like. And that sells because that's something that's relatable and personable and nostalgic to a lot of people. And you know what you got to do? You got to get these guys to advertise products that are not baseball products. Here's the thing. Aaron Judge is endorsed by Pepsi. Not a lot of people know that. Why shouldn't there be – shouldn't you be able to walk into a Stop and Shop or a Walmart? And you, why, why is there not – Aaron Judge is, what, six foot six? Why do you not make a, 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 a giant cardboard cutout that's his height and then say, like, how many Pepsi cans tall is Aaron Judge or something like that? Why are you not doing that? Let let people walk into the grocery store, look at this gigantic – especially kids – let them look at this gigantic dude and how big he is. And Pepsi, use that to your advantage. Remember, when we were growing up, even NASCAR, Jeff Gordon used to be all over every Pepsi advertisement ever. Why is Aaron Judge's face not on a Pepsi can? Again, I think that that, that marketing strategy sells itself. Show people how tall he is and how massive he is. Get kids to say, wow, who's that guy? So Something like that, you know what I mean? Well, so so just to go back to the market, I mean, mar- the marketing of Major League Baseball is an absolute mess, and I thought it has been for years. Um, there's some really great stuff that, like, John Boy does on his uh, John Boy Media stuff to, to talk about that. Um, but, like, just the money aspect of it. So, like, we're talking about the NBA and the Knicks and how bad they suck. So, the Knicks play half as many home games as the New York Yankees. There's an 82-game NBA season. They play 41 home games. Major League Baseball is 162. They play 81 home games. So, the average price of a Nick ticket is $38, or I'm sorry, the lowest price is $38 for a Nick ticket. So if you were to break that out over a home game, you're talking $1.07, right? That, that That's your base price is $1.07 per, t- per ticket over the course of the games, right? Yankee Stadium is $4.05. So you're talking about on the value of it, it's four times more expensive than an NBA game for the value of the length of your season. Right? Mind you, Yankee Stadium can hold about 20,000 more people than the Garden. Exactly. So that tells me there has to be room to make an adjustment to help these families out. The marketing of baseball, I mean, you have Mike Trout, who's in Anaheim. Anaheim, I mean, they call themselves the L.A. Angels. So why aren't you marketing him better if L.A. is your is your base out there? L.A. is a huge market. How come we're not marketing him more? How come no one else – I mean, not to say that no one knows who Mike Trout is, but there should be more about Mike Trout. you got Cody Bellinger, who's a star. In the Midwest, you got – Christian Yelich who's in Milwaukee how come there's not more with him out in the mid- like there's think, so much more that should be done I think the MLB did a better job marketing Otani when he came over than they did marketing any player who was already established in the league at the time very true now here's a big difference though is baseball and this is something that we all need to change amongst ourselves and it's I will admit 
I'm about to be a hypocrite because this is not a change I would be very happy to make for myself, but you gotta give a guy give something if we want people to come in. Um, baseball players are unique to other sports because baseball players are, I think Michael K said it the best way, vanilla. The 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 a, baseball has an etiquette, you know what I mean? Mm, that's true. And, and there's there's no smack talk, and I always say smack talk is what you say when you have nothing intelligent to say. There's you, there's there's no smack talk. You, you, you're, to an extent, respectful to your opponent. And we even tried being cocky and bat-flipping, and people don't like it. I'm not someone who wants my own team bat-flipping. Someone else could do it. I don't want my team to do it because I think it's a sign of, of disrespect. So, And I am admittedly part of this problem. It's difficult to throw a baseball player's face out when these people are not willing to run their mouths like football players or basketball players who will well, go up to the media and they'll say um, – some trashy some some trashy things and they'll start calling people out and they get a little bit more um but even the nba i mean the the nba has gotten super popular say the past 10 years um with the average fans and i i think the nba has gotten softer on that there's not as much trash talking there's the oh i knocked the guy over over there but you know i'll go pick him up give him a pat on the button hey good job because that's my buddy so the nba's even gotten gotten away with that football still got plenty of trash talkers but even football i mean you saw Andrew Luck, one of the most polite guys I've personally ever met in the world. But you watch all the videos of him. He gets hit by a, a defensive lineman, gets a hey, nice hit. Like So sports all around have gotten away from that brutal hatred that you used to have for each other. So I don't think baseball's lost anything in that sense because the other sports are going more towards baseball, I would say, in that sense. But it's the whole uh, – I, I, I guess – what was I, I was gonna say when, when does a baseball player ever say anything controversial? We don't hear any. We do not hear as of late, which has been great. As I say, like recently, it's not. It's not up until this past like two, three weeks that we're actually hearing. Oh, did you hear what what's his name said in an interview? Because now people are starting to run their mouths because now people are getting angry um, at the Houston Astros. So like it's now this stuff is starting to come out. But like remember we had uh, was it Carlos Correa and Cody Bellinger? He's like, oh, I'll try to hit it as hard as I can at it, make sure I take his head off or something like that. That That's the stuff people are going to turn into, and that's also something I think is hysterical to watch people say. I love it. Trevor Bauer is great on it. But, again, I'm going to be a hypocrite, but I'm going to admit it. If a Yankee did that, I would be so unhappy with them. That's fair. Um, but I I think that the the sport in general needs more personalities. Um, and I think over the last couple of years, you've had a real strong influx of personalities from Pete Alonso to Cody Bellinger. Um, you know, these are guys that really stand out, I think. And I think they have a strong appeal from, um, from adults and children because you have that idol for kids, but you also have that um, these are genuine people, you know, like the things they do for their communities, for, um, just like general, like good things they do within the game, you know? And I think that's the best part of some of these like younger players coming into the league right now is because they are very open to fan interaction. They are very open to trying to build relationships in their community. I mean, Pete Alonzo, a guy that wasn't even in New York at the time of 9-11 made such a generous donation and um and like sign of respect to the families for um for the entire Mets team without even being asked for it 
you know, he, this was not a Mets initiative. This was a him initiative when he got all those custom cleats for every one of his teammates. And, th- and that's a, that's a young player trying to make a commitment and make a difference and prove that they care about people more than just, you know, I play a game. And I am throwing credit to Pete Alonzo because I'll tell you one thing. He is, um, as far as who's doing the most to market their own self, uh, Pete Alonzo is probably the the guy in New York City baseball, both the Yankees and Mets. I love Aaron Judge to death. Aaron Judge is very, very quiet, very polite, very boring. John Carlos Stanton, very polite, very quiet, very boring. Um, even Garrett Cole is kind of boring to listen to but like that is a yankees thing now is that they have such a strict like pr training that they want everyone to be this monotone tone thing and, and i get it because they want to be corporate and i get that's part of their identity but credit to pete alonzo he, he's coming off like everyone's big brother and i love it you know what also helps with all this uh, and it's going to lead to our next topic is this whole astros thing has been great for baseball in the sense of the marketing aspect of it because now there's a true villain. And the, the biggest thing that sells in sports is the good guy versus the bad guy, right? So that's going to be the next marketing thing that hopefully Major League Baseball really, I mean, you, you got to own it at this point. So let, let's use it to our advantage. Like when the Yankees play the Astros, when the Red Sox play the Astros, like these teams when they're playing the Astros, you got to market the crap out of it, man, and and make sure that it is must-see TV for everyone on the planet, not just the baseball fans like us. Everyone on the planet's got to know, hey, what's going on in the Astros game? Did so-and-so get hit? Did this happen? Like, market the crap out of it. Right, wrong, or otherwise, you need to use that because now any press is better than no press. So use that while you can, um, and that kind of goes to our next topic of the whole – Astros and what that means for baseball and for kids and all that. I mean, for sure, Scott. I guess, I guess what's your opinion on this? My yeah, my, my my thing on the the Astros thing that I really hope kids really take away from this. This is the number one thing. If you lie, people are aren't, aren't going to believe you again. It's going to be it's going to take a long time before people believe these players. We see a lot of friendships were, were cut off from this, um, and that's something I really hope kids take from this and here's something that I, I think parents this is going to be the key to explain this to your kid um this is what happens when you lie if you cheat and you own it to some degree forgiveness will come sooner um and it'll be more genuine we see alex rodriguez um is i think such a fascinating human with, with if you talk about his rise and his fall and his rise a second time he's almost living a second life and, and he feels um he said on on um, on a podcast i was listening to him i can't remember which one it was he said he feels like now he's finally learning how to be an adult is that now he realizes what forgiveness is and how to handle himself um and he's become I, did that dude just turned everything around him all because he eventually was genuine and was honest even though he cheated along with i know a lot of other people did the difference is these astros the, the houston astros are there's not there's no sense of genuineness or, or or honesty coming from them and there's no sense of of remorse and i think that that's what people that's what other players are, are taking as so much of a personal hit it's like no you lied and you're still standing behind it to, to some degree um especially when jim crane says yeah well we're the 20s we're, we're the world series champs so i guess you can't really do much about that or however he did it that it's not like how can you possibly be dumb enough to say that it's 
this is what happens when you lie. This is what happens when you don't own up to it is you're going to lose friends and these people lose, lose friends. Yeah, for sure. And I think, um, I think a smaller scale example of this was when, um, Brian Braun was caught for steroids, um, or performance enhancing drugs, not necessarily steroids, but, um, and he basically took the entire, um, he basically took the entire, uh, the uh entire mlb to court and fought it and everybody from that moment on absolutely like didn't believe a word that came out of his mouth because he was caught and he went to such extreme lengths to make it so that he didn't have to serve his suspension and that alone is gonna make it so that you are not able to continue uh, being trusted and I think Ryan Braun went from being one of the biggest stars in the game to all of a sudden just boom nobody cared about him and now I think oh. you're starting to see a similar trend of the Astros you know people idolized Altuve and Correa and Springer and Bregman and now every list you see their name on you just kind of sit there and go huh that's interesting. You know, recently there was an MLB list of, um, you know, top third baseman. And I think Bregman was listed as number two on the list or number three on the list. And I literally just sat there and went, how can you rank him that high after all of this? Can, can you trust that that's the player that actually exists? And, and this is part of the issue. And this is something that, you, as a parent, you need to acknowledge for your kids that when you mess up this bad, if you don't come clean on all of it and you keep the lie, the consequences are going to be much worse. So and before, I throw, before I throw it to Chris, Carlos Correa was about to be the forgiven one, if you remember, for a day. He was about to be that guy. He said, no, he said, there's no excuses. We did it. We all did it. He even made it say, we all bought into it. Everyone knew it was happening. This is all of our thing. We, we, he completely owned up to it. And everyone unanimously was like, this guy's a bro. He honed up with it. I hope everyone else does it. And then he immediately comes up with the tattoo thing, which I don't know if it's a lie. But again, what I said before, if you lie once, no one's going to believe you again. He comes up with a tattoo thing. And it sounds so – it sounds like a lie so much that – immediately he just digs himself a deeper hole it's like no just keep your mouth shut man you 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 apologize you made it genuine it, it was honest you owned up to it everyone was totally okay with at least you and then and then you got it worse by lying again i assume that that whole thing was a lie because it, it, it that, that had to be a lie i'm sorry that just had to be a lie so i i, I have so many levels of this as far as parents and kids and, and how this goes the, the most disappointing thing for me is Alex Bregman used to be one of my big, big coaching points of my kids because I read an article when he first got drafted about how when he was at LSU, they took away his key code to the indoor facility for LSU because he was in there so much they were legit worried about him because he'd go in there at 1 o'clock in the morning and hit for three hours till 4 o'clock, go sleep for two hours, get up, go lift, and go to class. Like They were worried about him. He was working so hard at baseball. And I used to use that as a teaching point with my kids about this is a guy that really, really wanted something. 
This is a guy who worked his butt off to the point where Scott, one of my Evan was here tonight hitting one of our college guys. Yep. Last year he was a, a senior in high school and he used to call me at 10:30 at night, coach. Can I come hit? Can you come open the facility? Now it's to a point he's one of our college guys. I gave him a key, and there's times I get a notification that someone's in here hitting at midnight. He's one of those guys, and that's so hard for me to swallow as a coach is that I used Alex Bregman as a teaching point with this kid that's now in college and really took it to heart, and now that's so disappointing that he's one of these guys listed because he for so long did it so right, and all it took was this to just completely change that. So there's that whole aspect of it. And then, you know, I've, I've heard a lot of Astro fans on Twitter and all the social media stuff saying, well, everyone does it. If you ain't cheating, you ain't trying, blah, blah, blah. And to your point, guys, if you got to own it. Like as a baseball coach, we are always trying to find every advantage that we can, right? You're on second base. We are trying to pick up your signs. You're absolutely right. But there's a way of doing things within the game versus way of doing things outside the game that just are wrong. And if, if you're doing something, you have to own it. You just have to. So this whole, if you ain't cheating, you ain't trying thing, that's fine and dandy and all that. But if you get caught, you, you just, you have to own it. And that's the biggest problem to your guys' points is the Astros just haven't. They haven't owned it. They've completely tried walking away from it. You, you got guys yelling at them from the stands now in spring training games and the, their reactions are just, it's absolutely insane. And it's insane for Astro fans because there's so many people that are defending them because they're like, hey, who cares? We won a championship. You, you've really, you've ruined the game of baseball to a certain extent. This, this whole idea, you know, we were get, getting over the steroid area and, and getting over this and trying to bring the game back. And now you've, you dug a hole again for the game of baseball. So yeah, you won a championship, but isn't that a little selfish on your part to say that that's really what we care about is just us and just winning the championship, not the game as a whole. And then we talk about again, like we did before about bringing average fans back and how <laughs> things are hurting the game. It's just, there's so many levels to this. It's just absolutely insane. So I have a point when it comes to the, uh, Astros and the, uh, and the other side of the ball too, you know, um, there was an article I read recently that was describing that, a former coach made a comment basically like, yeah, we put stuff on uh, pitchers use substances on the baseball too. And it's like these things just keep compiling for this team. And day after day, the scandal just gets deeper and deeper and deeper. And, you know, whether it's pine tar or whatnot, it's like, yeah, you know what? Every team has pitchers that put pine tar on the balls. It, it, it's true. And, and there's no team that doesn't, really. It's it's pretty much an unspoken thing about baseball that every major league team, there are pitchers who put pine tar on the ball because, you know what, they don't want to sail a fastball into somebody's head half the time. And you know what? I've heard pitch, uh, hitters say they would rather a pitcher do something like that because they'd rather have him more control and not sail a pitch near his head than lose control and have it close to their head. I don't know. I've never played at that level, so I don't know what it feels to have a 98-mile-an-hour fastball chucked inside at me. I don't know. I don't know what that feels like. 
And I've I got can... a low 90s fastball come at me, and I'll tell you one thing it is, is you, you know, like your heart stops, your stomach <laughs> sinks just, just a little bit. And, oh, it is not fun. I don't recommend it for anybody. So, so I get it. Like, it's technically breaking the rules, but it's kind of like an unspoken thing where it's like everybody kind of does it. So we kind of all just let it slide, you know, because it's kind of like an even playing field. You know, if everybody's doing it, does anybody really have an advantage? And to that point, the guys that get called out on it are the ones that are doing it, taking it too far. Yes. Like you look at Pineda a couple of years ago when he was with the Yankees, the Red Sox called him out. Why? Because he made it obviously noticeable the last time they pitched against the Red Sox. And he made it such a disadvantage for them that they said, well, if he does it again next time, we have to say something. And he did. So they did. So Exactly. You took the words right out of my mouth on that. Like if you're going to do it so over the top that everybody says like, whoa, whoa, calm down. That's a problem. And that's what the Astros did with this. They took it so far, and there's no coming back from that to a certain extent. Um, I would like to rewind just to like a, f- a few minutes ago when Chris, you were talking about um, the idea of you, you won a championship, yeah, but at what cost? And here, here's the thing. Um, championships aren't real. And here's what I mean by that is you, you can't touch a championship. You can't hold a championship. It comes in the form of a, a – a, I'll quote Rob Manfred for that quick second – um, a hunk of metal, and it comes in the form of the money you're going to gain from it. Um, and because of that, the when, when they talk about honor and when they talk about when you feel like you've earned something, they call it prestige of it. Honor and prestige come from the value people give it emotionally. When everyone else has completely disbanded positive emotion for one specific championship one year it has no value anymore so for as long as this gets remembered that championship will be to some level i will say a lot of people review that as valueless and it doesn't matter how much they're pounding their chests over it because everyone else is going to look at that and say no we do not accept that one as prestigious as the, the rest of them and What's frustrating about the way Manfred handles the whole thing is by not taking the championship away. And I've actually been persuaded um, on this position. My original position was don't take the championship away. Uh, But I've since been persuaded that I think we should have now. Um, Because when you, when they always show, they post uh, right in front of Minute Maid Park, I think in front of the spring training, they had the big Astros that says 2017 World Championships and like a banner beneath. It's a taunt at this point. And because they were allowed to keep that up there, Jim Crane was allowed to say, well, we won anyway, so haters going to hate. And, and it's – it's. I think what people are so angry at Manfred for is – and parents can learn something from this too. What people are angry at Manfred for is everyone else is responding with a certain emotion, and he is not emitting the same remote emotion towards it that they feel like he should. And the reason why I say parents can learn something from is when your kid does something wrong and your kid gets in trouble, what they do is a reflection on you also. So a lot of times if your kid does something wrong, it is important for you yourself to take initiative because that can also render the situation. If your kid does something wrong, if he throws a bat on a field, if your kid, I don't know, kicks uh, um, 
or, or spikes a second baseman when he's trying to slide in, into a base. If they get caught on these things, if you are a parent and you are defending your kid doing that, that's not going to help you or your kid. But if you immediately respond with a good criticism and, and good discipline, all of a sudden, that not only does that reflect very well on you, that even makes your child look better. You're helping them because everyone sees, okay, he's a kid, he's making a mistake, he's at least being taught the right way. Um, and that has a huge effect too. So if you're a parent, you can really look at this and say, yeah, this is what happens when you're a bad parent. People don't respond well to you either. Yeah, I agree. And, and it goes all the way up through the front office. I mean, you've been seeing these mistakes from the Astros front office for months now, even before the cheating scandal came out. You know, you had the issue with the reporter. And uh, what was the other one? Uh, I can't remember off the top of my head. But there the was assistant one... GM. Well, that was the issue with the re with the uh, female reporter yeah, that was completely like in like the action itself was inappropriate, and then the response from the team was even like, in my opinion, the response from my team the team was almost worse than the initial action, because the response from the team made it seem like what happened didn't matter. And that, to me, is almost worse. Absolutely. And, and, you know, the whole thing about this Astros thing is it's been billed to us as fans in the very beginning that this was a player thing. And obviously, knowing what we know now and the stuff that came out in The Athletic and all that stuff, we know it wasn't just a player thing. But this whole player is controlling the dugout and Hinch saying, well, he really had no control. And I broke two TVs over this. And, you know, the player is controlling the dugout and how that's become an issue in youth baseball. And it's not so much the players controlling the dugout, it's that the parents are controlling the kids and controlling what's going on. And this whole attitude change of it's become a me, me, me attitude at the younger levels versus a team first attitude. And that comes down to the whole program um, philosophy of what you want to do and what programs you're playing for. And that kind of goes to the other topic we want to talk about tonight is, you know, what you're looking for and all that stuff. And there's so much program hopping going around because – well, if I don't like what you're doing here, I'm just going to go here instead. And if I don't like what you're doing there, I'll go somewhere else instead. And that's the me, me, me attitude. And that's the whole parent controlling the kid, controlling the dugout, controlling the team, right? Um, so that whole aspect of it has been kind of coming. And now we're seeing it rear its head with Hinch saying the players controlled the dugout and the players controlled this whole thing. Now, I think that personally is an absolute crock. But – him saying it goes to show what's going on at the younger levels as these players are coming up through the system. Is it all? Absolutely not. But there's a good chunk of people coming up through the system that just don't understand this concept of the team attitude. And all the college coaches that I talk to, their biggest thing is teaching these kids how to be part of a team and how to compete. That's the biggest complaint I get from college coaches. They're not so much teaching baseball anymore. They're teaching kids how to compete because they just don't know how to now because it's so much of the I don't like this. I'm going to go here instead. And I don't like that. I'm going to go there instead. They don't know how to fail. They're not being taught how to fail. They're being taught if you can't do this, we'll go somewhere else and try to do something else. Um, and I know, Scott, you've been heavily involved in the travel baseball scene and obviously coaching middle school sports. You see it yourself with kids bouncing around. And who doesn't want to play middle school because their, their travel coach says it's an absolute waste of time, which, in my opinion, it's not in any way, shape, or form. We'll talk about that in a little bit, too. But, Scott, I, I want to get your opinion on this as well. Um, so what, what happens is what frustrates me the most is you, you have 
a mix of kids. Here's what happens when you go pro program hopping, and then you come play for your school team. Um, and I, I believe I'm 25. I believe that my age group is really the the kind of age group where this really started to get really out of hand, which is the reason why you came along and completely revamped the the uh, the Wallingford program into what awesome stuff you did. Uh, for it since then, I mean, you've done a fantastic job for this program, a fantastic job for these kids. Um, back when I was this age, I was a part of the group that initially I think started. Maybe it's a little bit before me. I'm not sure. Um, we were all very disconnected. So I'm going to address this from both the player who was involved in this and as a coach who watches the same exact thing happen. When I go out in the summer and I play with a completely different group of people than who I play for in the spring. And then everyone else in the spring is now playing with a bunch of different people who they don't play for in the summer. Do you think we all get along? The answer no. is no. The, the answer is no. It, it's a lot of show up. It's almost ro robotic in, in, in a sense. Um. And I've talked to a few teammates from from my high school team who who have a, a similar reflection, um, and it just felt like we got there. It's just everyone was on a completely different page. Um, at least just show up and go through the motions. Yeah, yeah, and, and and from the kids who come and play for the for the school team that I coach, you you get those similar vibes, and you can tell that they make little clicks within themselves, and you could see it because you could tell what kids are playing and what team during the summer or not so much what program they're involved in, but who's playing with who mm. because they really separate themselves. And it, it almost looks like, like um, uh, the cafeteria scene in mean girls. <laughs> I'm not sure how many of our, our listeners have actually seen that movie. It's a, it's a really funny movie, but don't watch it with your kids. Uh, but there, there's a, a famous scene from it where it talks about different cliques in high school. Where it's like, well, this table's this group, that table's that group, this table. And it's almost the same thing um, when they start showing up um, for practice, especially on a school team when they're all separated from everyone else. You could tell these guys play one place over the summer. They play in another place. And it doesn't even come down to mechanics. It comes down to their attitude. There's such an attitude difference, <coughs> excuse me, that comes from, from certain programs and and other programs and because um, I would at least hope we have some local viewers uh, listeners I'm not going to name at all or give any uh, um, any alludes to what programs I think are functioning in better ways than others I will just simply leave it at um, the, the, there is certain programs especially certain summer programs are giving attitudes that are do not mesh with people uh, of other programs and it's it, it creates for some difficult team building it creates for some difficult team chemistry and again i'm saying that not just as someone who has seen it uh, but also someone who has participated in it because i was a part of uh, of the age group where we went and played on a travel team over the summer then came back in the school team and everyone's on a completely separate page so so i'll say this um I was, I was a big soccer player when I was younger, you know, I, I played on my travel teams, I played on some rec teams, I played on school teams, very much what Scott's talking about, playing here, there, everywhere, and not really having a solid um, group of players that you kind of grew up around, you kind of jumped from here to there. But the one thing I did have in, all the way through... Um, you know, until I was a freshman in high school, we actually all played together, was my rec team. Like, literally, 
my first, my very first soccer team that I ever joined, we were the same group of like 12 kids that played together from the time that we were like six years old to the time that we were like 14. And it was just a casual like rec soccer league. It was co-ed. So there was boys and girls on this team from the time we were six to the time we were like 14. And you know what? The difference between how much fun we had playing our sport when we were all playing together versus the high competitive nature of a travel team or a school team where we actually ended up competing against each other at times. Um, and you know what? The, the fun parts of those games for us were the moments where we were directly competing against those people that we played with for so many years because that was what drove us. It was like, I want to beat him on this one. Or like, you know what? I want to see if he can beat me on this when you're like a defender like I was. Um, and it was a lot of fun to just grow up with that group intact. And I learned so much more about just being a human being from growing up around these people. Because it's like, you know, you would say something and make a mistake. And it's like, well those those people are still your friends and you have to learn how to fix that mistake you know because you're still on that team there's no escape from it it's like because you're going to come back next year it's going to be the same group of people and i think those are valuable lessons that i learned from just playing a casual rec league versus um you know jumping all over the place where i probably became a better soccer player you know on travel teams and school teams but i think i became a better person with um that original rec team that I was on. So I'm going to kind of go through some points here and jump on a soapbox a little bit. So if you guys want to jump in, just please cut me off. But um, go right ahead. so that kind of brings us to the whole, how do you choose a program? So there's three main levels that we see now in baseball at the youth level. There's the rec league, which is like your little leagues, your pony balls, stuff like that. The local travel teams, which is um, for those of you that are from the area, you know, that's what our program is that we built and the big time travel. So when I grew up, there was really rec and big time travel. The local travel wasn't a thing then. It was either you played little league or pony ball, whatever it was, or you spent big money and played on one of these regional big time travel teams. Um, and that's all it was. So that's kind of grown a little bit to add this third level for different reasons, some good, some bad. Um, so it kind of all comes down to what you want to get out of it. The lower, I want to say the, not the lower level, but the lower amount of time you need to spend into it is going to be the rec ball stuff that's going to be more community-based versus the big time travel which is more of a time commitment that isn't community-based right so you got to find that happy medium amongst it what do you want community or individual based and that leads to this the me 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 attitude that we talked about um, and the positives and negatives so there's a lot of people that will disagree with me on a lot of stuff and that's okay um, i want to preface everything i say by saying I don't think our program is the best at what we do, and that's fine. I think we give kids a platform to improve themselves in the game, offer the community aspect, and anyone who wants to go the next step and play the big time travel, I tell them, no one ever listens to me, but I tell them, I will happily set you up with a program that I think will be a good fit for you. Because look, at the end of the day, I know all those guys. I know the good guys, I know the bad guys, I know the guys that are somewhere in the middle, and all I want is what's best for your kid, even if you don't think that's going to be playing for me and that's okay, there's no hard feelings there. No one ever takes me up on it, but there, there's just so many aspects of it. So number one, 
the big time travel programs. You have some guys that are really just doing this because they love doing it. And you have some guys that are really doing this to make a lot of money. I'm of a firm believer that everyone has a right to make a living in this country. There are some guys that are really, really doing an awful job with the baseball aspect of this because they want to make a living at this. Doesn't mean you can't do a great job and make a living, but there's some guys that just aren't putting enough into this, I guess, commitment wise to the kids. So when you're looking at a program, you got to look at number one, how many teams are in that program? If you're talking about big time travel, is there one team at every age, two teams at every age, three teams, four teams? There, I, I know in our state, there are some programs that have between the ages of nine and 18, they have 24 to 26 teams between those ages. So you have two, three, four teams at some ages. Um, what that tells me is it's very, very difficult to say that they're not just about this for the money because there's only so much time to go around. Um, and I would hope that if they have that many teams, they're bringing in quality people and quality coaches for all those teams. But some of them are doing that. And those are the ones that I would push parents to if they want that big time travel. And some of them are saying, you know what, I'm going to bring in some parents to coach some of these teams and I'm going to coach the A team at this level. And you need to understand that if you're spending 25, 3,000, 3,500 bucks for big time travel programs, that if you are on a C level team per se, and you have two coaches that are parents and a college guy that comes and helps out when he's not when he's back for the summer or something like that, then the guy that runs the program probably doesn't care much about your team or you specifically. He wants to make sure that he gets your money. And if he doesn't, he'll find someone else to get it because his care is the kids on that A team, because most of those kids are probably playing for free at the expense of your kid, because for them, it's a selling point and a marketing point to bring in other kids. Hey, our A team just went and won nationals in this tournament or AAU or ABC, AABC or whatever this national brand is. We went and won a, a national championship with this group. That's a marketing point for these programs. So not to say that that's a bad thing, but you need to understand that, that if my kid's on the C team, this D team at this age, then I need to know if I'm spending this money that the program really might not care about me or my kid. Um, if you can digest that and understand that and still think your kid's going to get something out of it, then by all means, spend the money. But if you don't like that, you need to understand it. Then you need to look elsewhere. So then you get the big time programs, the next step down that charge the same amount of money, but they have one team per age. They're saying, look, we don't have the resources. We want to make sure we're giving our all to all of these kids that want to be involved in our program. And we're going to say, we're going to have specialty coaches that work with certain groups and certain kids and me as the director of the program i'm going to make sure i oversee all this and i'm showing up to stuff and those are the guys that i really appreciate in this game because they're understanding that they need to make a living at this that's why they charge the 2500 the three thousand dollars and they spend all this time on it and that's okay but they're also not doing it just to line their paycheck they really do care about the kids um so as a parent that's probably from my take, a program, if I want to play big time travel, that I'm going to gear towards versus one of these ones that has three or four teams per age. Um, and when I say big time travel, I'm talking about regional based teams, teams that take from kids from five, six, seven towns in the area. We go play maybe in a local league, but we do big time tournaments every weekend. We travel on weekends to tournaments or we travel out of state to play other teams from other states. 
Um, that's the quote unquote big time travel that I'm talking about. It's not, I'm not talking that you're going to national tournaments every weekend, but maybe if you're a Connecticut based team, I go to Rhode Island for a doubleheader on Saturday and I play a tournament in Massachusetts and then a tournament in Jersey. That's the big time travel I'm talking about. Maybe I do one or two national tournaments. Um, so you need to understand that kind of the money behind it. So then the next step down from that is the local travel, which is something that we've seen. And here's the good and the bad side of that. The good side is, is a lot of programs and towns have seen how programs like ours have flourished um, and started on their own. That's one side. And then side B is, well, someone got really upset that they were paying $2,500 for their kid to play and their kids sat the bench and they said, you know what, I'm going to take three kids, four kids off this team, a couple of friends from back home, and I'm going to go start my own program. We effectively call that daddy bowl because it's daddy got pissed off that his money wasn't going where he wanted it to go. And my kid wasn't getting what I wanted. That. And instead of going and finding a program that's a good fit for my kid and spending time and doing research, I'm just going to go start a program because I can pay the 350 bucks to AAU and I can go coach and my kid can play shortstop and bat second or bat fourth or, or do this. Now, are there great parent coaches out there? Absolutely. My father coached me. He was a coach in our town for 22 years. There are great parent coaches. With that being said, there was a time he stopped coaching me because he understood that sometimes kids need to hear it from someone other than their parents. And there are great parent coaches. One of our coaches in our program played at the professional level. He's a local high school coach. That's a guy that we will continue to let coach because he has so much to offer. But a lot of these guys that are doing these quote unquote daddy ball teams don't have that level of stuff to offer. And that's, I think, where people are, are losing a lot is they're going to play for this team because, oh, so-and-so's dad is starting a team. That would be so much fun. But if you're paying a 1000 bucks, what are you really getting out of that? Because your kid may not be getting the same level. Like you're hearing travel ball, but you're not getting the same level of coaching or commitment that you're getting out of the big-time programs. So if we go back to side A with these local programs like ours, we are a volunteer-run organization but we have paid coaches, non-parent coaches. So we've kind of found the mix between the travel and the rec, which brings us to the next level down, which is rec. And that's your little leagues, your pony ball, um, the stuff like that. Those are completely volunteer run, completely volunteer coaches. And so, so important to the longevity of this game. Um, just because that's where the average fan, quote unquote, that we talked about earlier, gets to the ball right? Is you play little league. Like when you're five years old, your parents sign you up for T-ball and you go try T-ball. And if you don't, you don't like T-ball, you don't like it. You go play soccer, you go play this, but typically the average American five-year-old is going to do one of two things. You're going to play soccer at five. Or you're going to play T-ball at five or sometimes both, right? That's the average American because you know what? You don't have really youth football leagues at that age. Youth basketball is kind of a little bit young still. You can certainly do like youth clinics, but the two big things out there for parents is my kid's playing soccer at five or he's playing T-ball. So that's the introduction to the game. So that's why rec is so important. And some of these, to go back to the big time travel, some of these big time travel programs will take a 10 year old kid and say, I don't want you playing rec. And that hurts baseball as a whole, because now those kids are leaving rec and the rec leagues are shrinking and then eventually folding. And now those average kids, the average who will eventually be the average fans, don't have somewhere for their own self to play. And then they're losing the game of baseball and going somewhere else. So that's kind of my whole spiel. Um, there's a whole bunch more about year-round commitments and all that stuff, but I, I want to get your guys' intake after my little soapbox. So, I think you outlined it beautifully, honestly. Uh, there are so many issues from 
how to choose what's right for yourself to uh, what choosing what's right for your kid to um proportioning how much money you're spending and it all becomes very complicated very quickly and uh, you're right like nobody nobody asks for help the way you offer it sometimes and you know you want to help these people because it is get a muddled mess sometimes for them and they get overwhelmed and they make wrong decisions based on just like money or location and it's kind of unfortunate to a certain extent where you do get left in the dust a little bit but scott what's your take on this so, so something I'm actually going to throw out, out just for parents who are listening. Um, nothing will make a coach not want your kid more than you if you do your job as a parent poorly. Uh, when I was 18, I had just graduated high school, and I volunteered to umpire for a local league, and I got into a screaming argument. I take that back. I was getting screamed at. Screamed at. I said, State, excuse me. Oh, sorry. Got a little bit of a cold. I stayed very calm under a 40 year old man screaming in the face of me at the age of 18 over the infield fly rule for a nine and under game. I still remember that face to this day. And I hope, I genuinely hope, I never meet any parents of any kids who try out for my team I hate meeting parents and lucky for me I'm kind of in a school program where there's ways I can I, I can avoid parental contact to a degree um, I do not hold it against kids me personally I do not hold it against kids when their parents are absolute jerks but what I am saying is not everybody is me um if you do not fulfill your role correctly, that is a great way to count everything against your kid. Um, and your role is to cheer. Your role is to support. You are behind a fence for a reason because you do not belong on the field. Maybe you belong on another field with another team in another place, but you do not belong on that field. You do not belong there at that time. So stay off the field at that time and keep your mouths behind the fence also. So to that point is, so with us, because we cost a little bit more money than the rec leagues and because you guys, I mean, in all sense, don't cost anything with the school teams. I mean, I know there's a little bit that the town makes you pay to help out with uniforms and stuff, but it really doesn't cost anything. Um, we have not taken kids because of parent interaction. And I want to say personally, I love the parent interaction. I don't want to talk to you about your kid's playing time or what your kid is doing. Um, make your kid tell you that. Um, but I love the parent interaction. Like I, I truly enjoy coaching these teams and getting to know the parents and hanging out with the like having a cookout after a double header and hanging out with the parents and hearing about their lives and their kids. Like for me, that's a lot of fun and part of the reason why I do what I do. But then on the other side of it. It's also so completely heartbreaking as a coach because there are so many of us like you and I who coach because we truly love it and we truly love building these relationships with these kids. And then the parents go and they change program travel hop because they're not happy with one particular thing. And that's what makes it so hard with the parent interactions because you consider people friends and then they go and just because they're not happy with one thing instead of having a discussion, they go and they start changing programs. Um, 
and that makes it really, really tough. And it, it's hard as a coach to really um, forget that and, and buy back in year after year when, oh, I have this kid that left after last year because they weren't happy with the X and this kid that left the year before because they weren't happy with Y. And look, no matter what program you go to, ours included, nothing is perfect. There are going to be mistakes. Even the guys that do this for a living and this is all they do, they wake up in the morning and all they care about is their program in baseball. There are going to be mistakes. And the most important thing is finding a program that you believe in enough that you can live through mistakes and help work through mistakes. If you have suggestions or you have problems with something, don't be afraid to ask important questions. And important questions aren't playing time. It's not, what can my kid do to get in the lineup more? Your kid needs to know that. And your kid does know that. He just don't doesn't want to tell you about it. Your kid knows that he's horsing around at practice or he's horsing around in the dugout. And the coaches are looking at him saying, I'm not putting him in the game because he doesn't really care about being a part of the team. He just cares about horsing around, right? So we know that, the kid knows that, the parents don't know that. But if you say, you know what, I really think that they could really improve on X, how can I help with that? If I get a phone call from a parent and says, you guys are struggling with this from what I'm seeing this season, can I help out with that? Absolutely. That's the stuff that would be great for us. Like you, Scott, you coach by yourself in a school program. If a, if a parent said to you, hey, can I keep the book on the side? I'll keep it out of the dugout. I don't want to talk to the kids, but I'll keep the book for you on, on Game Changer or whatever just to help you out. Okay, great. That's wonderful. You're not asking me about playing time. You're not getting involved in coaching decisions. That's a way for you to help out that isn't disrupting the team, and that's helpful for me as a coach. And that, I think, is huge for parents when if you see there's a problem with something, don't just jump ship if you truly believe in the program you're with. Find a way to help fix it. And sometimes you have to look in the mirror and – eat a little bit crow and say, well, did I do everything beforehand that I should have done? Did I make the commitment that we committed to, to make sure that X, Y, and Z were happening? If we didn't, then I can't be mad at the program. So there's just make sure you're asking questions as parents and know the right questions to ask. Yeah. And here, here's another thing. It's, um, I, I haven't had, I haven't had a lot, a lot, a lot of bad um interaction with parents i've had uh, a few handfuls that have uh, i saw one last year that was fun uh oh yes oh oh, oh we're, we're not talking about that one we're not talking about I, am i am i even allowed to talk about that i, I don't I think so do think no no you can't talk about that i i can't i, I can't but you, that i know you i will just know. say this that was a special kind of interaction it, 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 yeah yeah billy knows about it too i remember calling him up on the phone after i said you you just wouldn't believe this there there was a pair of interaction i had about two summers ago that both of you also know about which is the first time that i got hot kind of over it um we, we both know what that was but here's another message for your parents um we know when you're trying to blow smoke up our rear ends we know when you're being really really nice so we say but we were so nice to you we know when you're just being nice to us and you're not being nice to the people next to you because what you, it's the old phrase what you do when no one's looking determines who you are we, we know what you're doing when we're not around and that's a part of it and most of us are just too polite to really call you out on it if it's, it's not, not even polite, really it's, all that it, it, important. It's not even polite. It's we don't want to deal with the aggravation to call you out on it because we care about the kids more than we care about your opinion. Yeah. Billy, what do you got? Uh, 
I I have to say, like, a lot of this translates beyond just baseball when it comes to coaching and, you know, parent interactions when you're in an activity that involves, like, instructors. Um, Scott and I both have taught in other activities that aren't just baseball. Um, and some of these exact same interactions happened. Yeah, okay, obviously we're not talking about playing shortstop in these other activities, but... You know, you have these same interactions, and I don't know where this all started because I never once felt like my parents would have confronted a coach or an instructor the way that certain things happen nowadays. And I don't know, maybe it's just I didn't see it um, when I was younger or I was blind to it. I don't know exactly. But I just never felt like certain things happened in these interactions that I'm like, the coach was the coach and you kind of let them do their job unless they were doing something that was actually wrong. You know, it wasn't just a choice that the coach made on playing time or, you know, who's starting over who. You know, those decisions were left to the coach and I never felt like parents were getting involved in that type of stuff. Yeah, like I said, unless the coach was actually doing something wrong that was detrimental to the kids. And I see it all the time in activities that I'm involved with with younger kids now that where these parents, they want their kids to succeed, but they almost put up roadblocks in front of the instructors or coaches to like make it harder to get their kids to the goal they actually want. Uh, so, do, do you guys have any like advice or um, so, comments so as about far, those? Yeah. So like, as far as like choosing a program and the playing time is playing time is always the root of all evil, right? Parents can say what they want as I was happy about X, Y, and Z, but it really comes down to the playing time is 99% of the time the problem. So if playing time is an issue for you and you think I'm spending X amount of dollars for my kid to play on this team and he's not seeing the playing time, don't go to a similar size program. Like if you're playing big time travel, and again, that's the regional stuff. And my kid isn't playing how much I want him or I think he should be playing. Don't go to another big time travel program because you're going to, if, if your kid's now getting playing time at that level, it's a watered down version of it, right? Or he's going to go there and not get playing time. Go to the next level down. So go to, if, if it's, the big time travel with the four teams and go to the big time travel with the one team. And then if he's not getting playing time there, then go to the local travel. If it's not the local travel, then maybe go to rec. The thing I hate seeing is kids bouncing program to program and paying the same amount of money and going here, there and everywhere because they're not getting what they want. And really maybe you're not getting what you want because your kid isn't competing at that level. Right? So maybe take a step back and look in the mirror and say, okay, if I want my kid to get the playing time, then I need to move here instead of laterally. Um, the other side of this is, is understand that it's not just about the playing time. Understand that you are creating life lessons for your kid. And if your kid isn't playing at whatever level you're, you're paying for, then he's either got to work harder or understand that being a part of team doesn't mean that you're always the main guy. And being a part of team is knowing that guy number 12 or guy number 14 or guy number 16 at some point is going to have his number called and have to do a job to help his team. And that's okay. And be that guy and own that spot. Um, that's the two different kind of ideas on it is don't leave because of playing time. Either force yourself to get better or force yourself to accept the role that you have or 
step down the ladder instead of moving laterally. I would like to talk a little bit about this idea. We're talking about going up and down the ladder. That reminds me of something called what a lot of people call playing up. It is, oh no, I want to play up to get the experience. I want to play up to get, okay, there's, there is a threshold to when that's healthy and, and to when that's harmful. Um, and, and here's what I mean by that. Well, for, firstly, you have to ask yourself from a, you have to be real at a certain point and say, what am I playing up for? Am I playing up to get the experience? Experience for what? Because the last thing you want is to be 17, 18 years old, finishing high school, and your kid is completely burnt out from the game of baseball because he was playing up and he was always playing competitive. And what are you playing up for? It's like there was a poem. I can't remember who wrote it. It was um, when I was a kid, I was just dying to be a teenager. When I was a teenager, I was dying to be an adult. When I was adult, I was dying to retire. And now I'm dying and I forgot to live. Mm. you can really apply that to baseball make sure you're living it make sure you're enjoying it because there's going to come a point where what did you really play up for it's like at what cost did you sacrifice all of your friends being in another team what point did you sacrifice all your friends being maybe a level lower than you when you really shouldn't have been playing at such a high level at what point did you miss what you were here for because of maybe some bragging rights or maybe or maybe not but even if you, you decide okay we're playing up because we're, we're good enough to play up which is great i played up certain times in my life um th there comes a point where you're just gonna get fed to sharks you're not gonna learn anything we're getting fed to sharks there is a such thing as the healthy challenge Maybe these guys are one year or maybe two years older than my son. And he could still hold up. And, and he's not batting as well as he did last year, but he's still learning. And we could see improvements over time. And that, that's kind of a good gauge to use. If, if over time you're seeing the improvements happen, maybe that it, maybe you're at a healthy challenge level. Um, but if, if you're just stuck in in the bottom of the barrel because you can't even move because you're just getting smothered by people so much bigger so much faster so much stronger than you um you're not going to learn and like i said you're gonna get to high school and you're you're, you're gonna be dying and you're gonna be wondering what happened when you got a chance to live because I have, I have a very good friend of mine who um was a very good pitcher growing up he was always a much better pitcher than I was. And he and I were attached at the hip growing up. He and I were next door neighbors. Um, he, he's the one who got me into baseball in third grade. He's the one who got me into it. He loved it. And and my dad loved it too. And his dad loved it. And they, they built a bullpen in the backyard for us. Our dads used to mow the lawn to give us the uh, uh, a base pass just to play in the backyard. And we were all obsessed with it. And we, we were watching it. We were talking about it. And that's all we did in recess. And then by, by time we, we, we graduated high school, he just said, I'm just so done. He said, I don't want to touch a baseball anymore. I, I feel like there, there's nothing here. I'm so done. I said, and I really don't need to come back to this game until I have a son one day. And that's going to be the only thing that brings me back because I'm personally done. And that came from get, getting burnt out. That came from being on teams that did not have the best camaraderie. Kind of like a callback what we talk, talked about before. 
it just took the wind out of him and it it, it, it upset me so hard this is like this is the dude who got me so into it and then he was just lifeless about it by by the end and like th- this is not what we what we had planned for and uh i even went through through a period where i, I think I, I took some time it's like i just i, I need to even take a break because i even to a level even overdid it for myself but uh, the, the, there, there's nothing more set more sad than that than someone just saying i just feel like that there's nothing left and i'm just a robot about it that, that's that to me that's the saddest thing you could do so my kind of final thoughts on this is um travel ball isn't supposed to be for everyone and that's kind of what it's turned into is anyone who can throw a baseball or catch a baseball is now playing travel baseball that's not what it was designed for it's designed for the next level guys the guys that want to work hard all the time um and that's not necessarily meaning year round anyone who tells you you need to train year round is lying to you and just looking to line their their pocket um I have guys, we we tell our guys we want you to play multiple sports. Um, if you want to work out around your sports that you're playing in the, our off-season, then we'll find time to make it work. If you, But you need to be a multidimensional athlete, not just a baseball player. Um, and the other side of this is, is kids don't go outside like they used to and just play. Everything that we do at every level, rec now, travel, high school, everything is so regimented that these kids don't know how to just enjoy it. So like one of the drills we do with all of our youth teams, so that that's the teams prior to high school is we do a drill where we just say, get a partner and a ball and go run around, go throw, go practice the dare cheater, jump throw, go work on diving, go rob a home, throw a home run ball for your buddy to rob, just run around because kids don't do that. Like they used to, they don't do that. Like when we grew up where you played wiffle ball all summer long in the backyard, or in the winter, you played basketball in the driveway, you played football, like kids don't do that anymore. So please, parents, my final thought is kick your kids outside more, make them play stuff outside, make them build the social aspect of it and create lifetime friendships um, that aren't regimented by us as adults. It's good for the kids to make friends and have disputes with those friends. Some of my favorite memories are yelling and screaming with my neighbors and some of my closest friends about a call at second base in the middle of a football game in the middle of July, because that's what we were doing. Um, and kids just don't do that like they used to. So please parents at the end of the day, make sure they are kids first and foremost, not, not even student athletes, especially at the younger level they are students and, but they are kids. Um, the training part doesn't matter. Like if you're good enough, you will make it there. Don't let anyone ever tell you you need to tr- overtrain or you need to, you know, worry about this or go to this tournament to get looked at. If you're good enough, they will find you. And I think that kind of goes back to where we started the show with the whole Kelly Rodman thing is it, with the pro scouts in the area, the college coaches, they just want to see these kids be athletes and be good people. Um, and we create that by starting them with being kids first and help them be kids. So that's my final thought. My final thought before I throw it over to Billy is I just have to reflect on everything you just said. If there is a certain generation, and I know, Chris, you are a part of that generation because I've seen you share the meme, where it's difficult to watch the Sandlot because of how much emotion that draws out of you. And it has nothing to do with the plot of the movie. Mm -hmm. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, you should change your lifestyle and your upbringing. But if you do know what I'm talking about, 
do you know what you have to do in order to give uh, other people that? When we talk about playing in the backyard, oh my god, we we had we, we were doing basketball on the drive, we were doing street hockey on rollerblades. We had we had like all, all the uh, the ramps and everything. We used to take our bikes. We used to love the X Games. We did legitimately everything in the backyard. But he, here's here's my final thoughts. It's going to be to someone who's maybe someone, hopefully someone is listening to this who is trying to put together a local league or trying to bring kids back to their local league or like the rec league, like like you saw, like you talked about, the lowest one, and you're losing people. I'm going to give you something that's going to be a small thing that's going to go a long way, and this is going to sound sarcastic, but I'm being dead serious. Get better uniforms and better hats. Here's why. What you look like is how you're perceived. There's a reason why on Twitter and online, people can't wait to see when teams change uniforms. Because people want to look at that stuff. People want to look at cool things. And you want to know what happens when your kids wear cool stuff? They want to keep wearing it. They want to play up to what they're wearing. They want to show they've earned something. They want to feel like they've earned something. And it's also going to show that you care. So if you're running a local Little League and you're losing kids, or, or like a local, I don't know, like a Babe Ruth League, and you can't get the best out of your kids, this is a perfect time of year while everything's getting set up. Go to the place who prints your, your shirts and say, what do you got for me? What's cool? Because nothing is nothing is going to put a smile on kids' face at the beginning of the year. Like opening up the box and everyone's saying, oh my God, what's it, what does it look like? What's the uniform look like? What's the hat look like? You will light kids up like Christmas trees if you show them some really cool jersey. Why not? Why? Because they want to keep wearing it, and they can't wear it until they play, and they want to show it off to people. And now you're going to attract people because people are going to say, oh, I want to wear that uniform. Oh, that looks so cool. Hey, guys, look at these. Don't we look awesome? They walk on the field. Oh, we look so much better than the other guy. Guys, let's play better to show that we, we, we look – we play as good as we look. And also nothing will defeat them. Like, oh, that's what they look like. You you cannot play well in baseball if you don't look good, and and that that's a small detail. And it sound it sounds materialistic, it sounds sarcastic, but honestly, and, and Chris, both both you know know me very well. I'm I'm a collector of hats. I'm a collector of jerseys, and I know actually I know Chris, you are too, and Billy, you also do a few hats. And and every year I always try to change the hat up for the um. The, the, the teams that I coach, I always change the colors or I change the design. I change something just so every year they have something that they the kids feel is important to them and something that they could wear out off the field when they're even going shopping with their parents just to say, dude, I play for this team. This hat is cool. I play for them. Don't you want to play for them? And it changes every year. So every year it's unique and you have certain memories attached to it. These are the jerseys, man. Don't get lazy with them. I, I promise it's going to make such a difference in the kids' attitudes. Billy, what do you got? So my thing is a little more uh, conceptual. Uh, my last thought is really just when it comes down to it, you know, we we talked about um, kids getting burnt out and, uh, you know, losing their drive in an activity because they've been spread so thin. Um, I think that parents really need to take a step back and limit the amount of things that their kids are doing. Um, I think too many kids are getting way over involved in too many activities and things that they might not even be interested in. They just think they should be doing. Um, 
if your kid loves to play baseball, let them play baseball. You know, um, if they don't want to play basketball anymore and all they want to do is play baseball, let them play baseball. You know, they don't have to play every sport if they don't want to. Should they experience other sports? Of course. As you said earlier, Chris, it's good to be a f- complete athlete and not just a baseball player. But when it comes down to if your kid does not like something or is just doing something because they feel they should, don't don't make them do it. Let let them let them focus on the things that really drive them because you know, you can have the right coach, you can have the right team, but if a kid's burnt out, they're going to have no drive to play. And that and that's my thing. Like the, the kids should want to be part of the activity and spreading them thin where they're busy of every second of every day that I feel like so many kids are it doesn't let them be kids like you were saying like and and that's the goal like they are kids all the way through high school really they're still just kids you know I I look back Scott you and I have been out of high school um about a decade now we're getting, we're coming up on that decade real soon. We've been out of high school. Shut your mouth right now, William Craig. Hey, oh, both hey. you can bite me. But, but you look back on it, and you know you felt so grown up then. You, you weren't. You know, I, I still don't feel grown up now. Um, looking back on my life at this point, but you know what, I was just a kid then. And some things that I was doing, I was just doing because I thought it looked good on a college application. You know, and it wasn't because I enjoyed it at all, really. And those are the activities that I feel like kids need to cut out of their lives and just hang out with some friends. Go play a game of baseball. You know, throw a football in the backyard. You know, pick up an instrument if you want. Those are the things that kids should be focusing on. They shouldn't just be filling their schedules. And I think that goes back to how many teams you're playing on, um, choosing a right team for you. Because if you choose the right team and that's the only team you play for, well, that's where you belong. It doesn't matter how many other teams you play for. And I think that's where I'm going to leave it. um, Because I just want... I want kids to enjoy being kids and I feel like they have so much focus on trying to be an adult too young that they lose what it means to be a kid and then they grow up and they don't know what it means to be a kid. Does anyone have any other thoughts they have tonight? No, that's it. That's my final thought. My last thing is if if you, because you know I love movies, if if parents, if you want a, a great example of what billy was just talking about watch the 2005 bad news bears and um look at the mother who's who's in that movie that's exactly what he's talking about and while the movie's a comedy it, it takes a serious turn um during a certain storyline and it's that storyline it's all about what are you doing with your kid um all the time um go go watch that that will clearly demonstrate and ask yourself is that me or should I look at myself in the mirror on a few things? Fantastic, great movie. It's an underrated movie. I think it's good, but for the for that example, I think it's phenomenal. Well, I think that just about wraps it up for tonight. Um, if you like what you've been hearing all night, I know it's a little bit of a long one tonight, 
Um, you can follow us on Twitter at B4Pitch, or you can uh, check out our YouTube channel. B4, uh, number four, Pitch. Yeah, number four, Pitch. Thank you very much. I will make that mistake every time, so please remind me. <laughs> um, or, or follow our YouTube channel. We post uh, pretty much weekly videos, but sometimes a couple a week. Um, but check us out. We got a variety of topics from just general baseball to Mets, Yankees, um, you know, uh, statistics, our thoughts on new rules, all of the stuff. It's all on there. Um, and any news that keeps on coming, we'll put up there as it comes along. So for tonight, this has been Before the Pitch. I'm Billy. I'm Scott. I'm Coach Chris. Have a good night, everybody. Good night, guys.